The following program is brought to you by Total Theater Online. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff or management of WGBB. You're listening to the station that serves your community, 1240 WGBB. And now it's time for Dave's Gone By with David Lefkowitz. Here goes the neighborhood. Welcome everybody to a new edition of Days Gone By, brought to you by Tobal Theatre, Quiznos of Hewlett, the Tondor Grill, and Hewlett Minuteman Press. I hope you've enjoyed our shows over the summer. We've had a lot of guests on recently. We went through a period where the programs were mostly me, doing the news gone by, doing Inside Broadway, and Dave Goes Off. But then I got a little tired of hearing just my own voice, so I've been casting around for more special guests. Last week, we were joined by theater critic Andy Probst, talking about a bunch of shows on and off Broadway. Before that, we chatted with a friend of mine, Diditi Mitra, who did her doctoral dissertation about Indian cab drivers and the difficulties they face in New York. And prior to that, another friend, professional jazz guitarist Dustin Ehrlich, who just released his first CD. And Andrea Cole, an actress and comedian, who talked about her one-woman show. So, we've really had a variety of folks on Dance Gone By, and that's going to continue right through September. Next week, if things work out, I've got an unbelievably great guest lined up. I won't say until it's 100% confirmed, but trust me, it's a major. What I can say is two of the definite guests we have for the weeks ahead. Coming September 9th, the Thursday after Labor Day, Really interesting fellow, Captain Al Puentes. He's the he's an author and former firefighter, and those two things are related. He was part of the fire department's rescue team on September 11, 2001. He spent part of that day at the World Trade Center rescuing people from the first tower collapse, and the second part of the day, trapped, buried alive, in the rubble of the second tower before he was miraculously located brought to the hospital's intensive care unit and spent several months in recovery and physical therapy. He's fine now, relatively, but as you can imagine, Captain Al has a story to tell. And I'll tell it here, September 9th. Kind of an unusually serious guest for this program, but the calendar starts creeping toward that date, and it really does beg for some reflection and awareness. And then we take a break for a week for the Jewish holidays. We'll come back on a much lighter note, September 23rd, the second day of fall, with cabaret singer-songwriter Gotti Berman. She's the author of such novelty ditties as I'm in love with my computer, I sing to my plans, and catered divorce. She's got shows coming up at Don't Tell Mama in Midtown Manhattan, so she'll be sharing her music and motivational comedy here, September 23rd. But that's almost a month away. What about tonight, August 26th? Well, this is pretty special, too. If you remember two weeks ago on the Inside Broadway segment of Dave's Gone By, I talked about the New York International Fringe Festival, specifically all these zany show titles you'll find in fringes. After all, there are so many productions to choose from, theater companies need to stand out, so they'll try to come up with a grabber of a title. For example, You're in Town, a festival smash a few years ago that went all the way to Broadway. This year's titles included Granola, the musical, Laughing All the Way from the Sperm Bank, The Passion of George W. Bush, and perhaps most controversial of all, Die, Die, Diana, 
a musical satire on the death of England's Princess Di. Was it a paparazzi accident that killed the former princess and her boyfriend, Dodi Fayed? Was it a planned assassination? Was it that the British still don't realize that steering wheels are on the wrong side of the car? I don't know the answer, and neither do the authors of this musical, Todd Sublette and composer Jeff Davis. But they have a lot of fun deconstructing all the theories as to who would want Lady Di dead? How was Di's death done? And what did Dodie do to Di? So, we'll speak by phone to Jeff Lavis, who pinned the music to this musical. But before you go, oh, gee, some unknown composer of a tasteless, off-off-Broadway show gibbering all about the royal family, I should add that Jeff Lavis is not exactly an obscure name. He's been doing musicals on the West Coast for a decade now. But in the 60s, he was in a couple of rock bands, and then he became a session musician on piano and keyboards, backing people like Bonnie Raitt, Jonathan Edwards, and Jesse Colin Young. But his most lasting collaboration, and it was a real collaboration for a while, was with one of the most famous, important, and inscrutable rock artists of all time, Van Morrison. Not only is it Jeff Lavis playing piano on albums like Moondance, Beat and Fleece, and No Guru, No Method, No Teacher, but he arranged most of those records and gave them that cross of pop and light jazz that was utterly, uniquely man the man. So, we will talk theater and music and Morrison with Jeff Lavis tonight and hear him on the ivories, of course. And we have another installment of Inside Broadway, a look at what's happening currently theatrically, sponsored by Performing Arts Insider Magazine and its parent company, Total Theater. Total Theater is also the parent company of this program, Dave's Gone By, and I am the parent, or more colloquially, Dave. Dave Lefkowitz, radio personality, theater critic, journalist, and humorist, bringing you this program on this station since October 2002. This is the 91st episode of Dave's Gone By, a mix of smart talk, silly talk, special talk, and music. Certainly tonight you'll hear music and smart and special talk. I have to save the silly talk for autumn, but don't worry. Silly talk always makes a comeback on this program, which is why we remind listeners that Days Gone By is rated DGB-13, the radio equivalent of the movie's equivalent of your mother going, no, you're too young, even when you're not too young. But if you think you're too young, or you have young ones who are too young, I'm not here to age them, so listener M4, and on with the show, right after this. I'm just quiz nuts about Quiznos, toasty sub-sandwiches that transcend the ordinary. That's because they're made with quality ingredients like freshly sliced premium meats, crisp vegetables, and rich melted cheeses. And don't forget that special oven-toasted bread that tastes quiz nice. Extra hungry? Try their old-fashioned hearty soups and quiz nummy desserts. Watching your weight? Be quiz natural with fresh salads and low-carb toasty flatbread. Remember that Quiznos is toasting Hewlett, Long Island with a new store at 1320 Broadway right next to the Dwayne Reed. Dave's Gone By listeners get 10% off, assuming you identify yourself as a Dave's Gone By listener. Tell owner Ken you want something toasty tasty. He's scary looking, but he's quiz neighborly and happy to serve you with the extraordinary taste of Quiznos. 1320 Broadway in Hewlett, where everything is mmm toasty. 
Print it, copy it, send it as a gift. All that and more at Hewlett Minuteman Press. Full service printer, family owned and operated since 1975. Photocopying, printing, invitations, and great gifts. Minuteman, 1315 Broadway in Hewlett. Call 516-569-5577, 569-5577, or on the web at hewlett.minutemanpress.com. Mention Dave's Gone By and get a special price. Inside Broadway, brought to you by Total Theater's Performing Arts Insider, your everything theater guide. Although the calendar says we're nearly done with August and kids are heading back to school, the fall theater season doesn't really start for another couple of weeks. But few companies get their seasons cranking even before Labor Day. Traditionally, one of those is the Cocktail Rep, a fixture of the East Village since 1971. Each year, the Jean Cocktail Repertory offers classic plays and sometimes musicals in low-budget but professional stagings at their small theater on the Bowery, just a block or two from the public theater. A typical Cocktail Rep season will feature a German expressionist drama, a French farce, maybe something by Shaw, a Greek tragedy, a piece by Ibsen, or a Kaufman and Hart comedy. And what makes the Cocteau a real rarity in New York is it's an actual repertory. The same actors return season after season, playing several parts over the course of a year. You'll see a guy playing King Lear, then he'll have a very small role in a Tom Stoppard play, and then he'll come right back and be Captain Shotover in Heartbreak House, all within the span of a couple of months. Now, all that being said, this is going to be a weird year for Cocteau, because over the summer, several of their most familiar long-term players resigned. Those include Craig Smith, who's played over 200 roles there, and his wife, Elise Stone, who joined the company in 1985. Harris Berlinski, another mainstay, recently moved to the West Coast, and several other actors and board members tendered their resignations. They were disenchanted with the theater's direction over the last couple of years. Apparently, they felt the cocktail has moved away from its mission to be a repertory company and was hiring too many outsiders for important roles. In his resignation letter, Craig Smith said he had no hard feelings for relatively new artistic director David Fuller. It's just that, quote, the passion was gone for doing the kinds of plays the company began with. For his part, Fuller points to a million-dollar budget for the first time in cocktail rep history and his real desire to see the theater be treated with the same attention and respect as the Roundabout or Legion Center. Both sides have a point, of course. There's always something kind of homey and comforting about visiting the cocktail rep, but also something a little too familiar. Good as some of the departing actors were, no one ever said, gee, I wonder how Craig Smith would be in that role, because we all knew. At the same time, I hope the cocktail won't become too much like its bigger brothers. There's almost no sense of actor continuity from show to show at, say, Second Stage or Manhattan Theatre Club. And as for content, this season, the cocktail will offer Peter Mannion, Romeo and Juliet, A Flea in Her Ear, and Schiller's Intrigue and Love. And they're starting the season, September 3rd, with the zany musical Dames at Sea. 
Meanwhile, some of the folks who quit Cocteau have formed their own company, the Phoenix Theater Ensemble, and they'll premiere with a fundraising benefit at Symphony Space in October. How will Cocteau Rep do without its longtime stars? Will the Phoenix rise or make an ash of itself? The best way to find out is by subscribing to Performing Arts Insider magazine. For 60 years, Performing Arts Insider has been a bible for actors, directors, booking coordinators, and plain old theater lovers. Everything you want to know about every show on and off and off-off Broadway, plus listings for dance, opera, and cabaret, as well as rumors, reviews, and other special features. Pick up the September issue with its fall season preview at the Drama Bookshop in Manhattan, or call 516-295-1511, and Total Theater will send you the current issue for just $10, nearly a third off the cover price. 516-295-1511, that's also the number for subscription information. You have until the end of the month to take advantage of the big sale. 20% off all subscriptions, so visit TotalTheater.com for all the information you need to get Performing Arts Insider. We were talking about theaters getting a jump on the new season, and two others are the Atlantic Theater Company and the Signature Theater Company. Next Wednesday, the Atlantic starts previews of two Eugene Ionesco plays, The Bold Soprano and The Lesson. These absurdist classics have been newly translated and adapted by Tina Howe, best known for writing Pride's Crossing and the Tony-nominated Coastal Disturbances. And Signature Theater has already started previews with The Oldest Profession by Paula Vogel, who won a Pulitzer for How I Learned to Drive. Listen to this cast. Mary Louise Burke, Carlin Glynn, Joyce Van Patten, Catherine Hellman, from Soap, of course, and Anita Gillette. They all play aging prostitutes in The Oldest Profession. And if you like hearing about the second oldest profession, theater, make sure you listen next week and every week for Inside Broadway, brought to you by Total Theater and Performing Arts Insider. We've just been Inside Broadway with Total Theater and Performing Arts Insider. Hey, Dave's Gone By listeners, if you like hearing me, you'll love reading me even more. So hurry and get my book, Marriage, Babies, and the End of the World, filled with hilarious plays that were performed in New York like King Solomon the Wise and Blind Date. 232 pages of Pure Dave, only $20 hardcover, $12 trade paperback. To get your copy, call 516-295-1511 or visit my website. Start with mulligatawny soup, then try an appetizer of tandoori quail, have a tasty garlic naan, and a main course of lamb kebab, prawn masala, or buttered chicken, topped off by a glass of mango lassi. Hungry? Then visit the Tandoor Grill. Fine cuisine, great service, nice people. 222 Sunrise Highway in Rockville Center, 516-766-4440. See the menu at tandoorgrill.com. It's Indialicious. Welcome back to Dave's Gone By, and Dave's got guests, a musical guest with us, who is getting to theater now by doing... Um, 
Off-Off-Broadway show as part of the New York International Fringe Festival. It's actually a show that's been around for a couple of years that they've been working on. I want to talk to him about that. It's a show called Die, Die, Diana, but also about his musical career because he's worked with people like Bonnie Raitt and the strange and mystical and uh, completely unguessable Van Morrison. So, please welcome to Dave's Gone By my guest, Jeff Labus. Hi, Jeff. Oh, you're on a cell phone. I can I can hear that. Um, yeah. Where are you right now? Uh, I'm I'm in Marin County. Marin County in, in yeah, Canada. north of uh, San Francisco. Okay. Um, we're we're not quite getting you there. Um, pointing away from the trees. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah. I can hear a laugh. So tell me, how's uh, Die Die Diana going? Well, uh, I've only seen two reviews. One review was uh, really good, and one review was really bad. So <laughs> it's somewhere in the middle. Was the bad one about politics, or was the bad one about specifically uh, the content? That one was uh, kind of dealing with performance a lot, and uh, uh, quality of the actors. They also didn't like the music much. Oh, ouch. But the good review uh, seems to like everything. So, you know, it was very subjective business with seeing a reviewer. Now, why don't you actually tell people what Die, Die, Diana is about? It's a satire uh, that kind of alleges that the royal family had a lot to do with the uh, demise of Princess Diana. Wow. Uh, is yeah. it something you believe or just something that you're playing with? Well, uh, actually, uh, the play was written by Scott Sublet, my partner, mm-hmm. and uh, he called me to do the music. Uh, I, I personally uh, feel that he's, he's on to something. Uh, and actually, there's been a lot of, uh, a lot of things coming through the press recent years since her death that indicate that uh, there may be some substance to it as well. Who would have done it? Dodie's family or something like that? Or the government? or oh, The royal family. Uh, she was about to move to Malibu, California with Dodie and take uh, Prince William with her. And Prince William, of course, is the uh, next in line because they're passing over Charles. So it made perfect sense for the royal family to be uh, upset with him uh, running around the beaches of Malibu. And so uh, Scott Sublet, the guy who wrote the, the book, the libretto for, he also wrote the lyrics, or did you write the lyrics? He wrote the lyrics as well. Mm-hmm. So he had it in his head to, to go and explore this and see, well, was yes. Princess Diana killed um, rather than just this accident done by paparazzi? Well, the, the piece explores the, uh, the issue of fame and, and being chased down by the paparazzis who may have had something to do with the accident as well. Uh, and it does it in a, in a comical, satirical way, I assume. Yes. Yeah, the whole thing is definitely a satire. Uh, when we put it on at San, San Jose State uh, here in, in uh, the Bay Area, where uh, Scott is a professor of uh, screenwriting, by the way, we had uh, the director, uh, Danny Shea, who was a fabulous director, and uh, he, he really made it uh, a most entertaining evening. It was sold out on a three-week run. And again, I was back in San Jose. This was, uh, about four years ago. You also did play in England, or, or wanted to. No, what uh, we, we had a we had a producer who wanted to do it in England, but he found out from his lawyer that he was likely to be sued, or at least possibly sued. Well, actually, the press material said that the, the show is banned over there for well, that's possible what he said. sedition, he, or is he that, said that it, it could be looked at as seditious? So you couldn't even do it there now, or if you wanted to. Uh, well. It, it's it's a question of the producer would would be liable for uh, for being sued. Well, who would sue the, the royal family? Well, that that would be possibly the uh, that would be the source of a suit. Yeah. Wow. 
How did you um, get together with, with uh, Scott Sublet? Because he was teaching in the area where you were, or? Well, actually, he's a, a friend of a, another collaborator of mine with whom I've wrote about, I've written about uh, four shows. Oh, what, what were uh, those? Uh, well, we wrote a, a children's version of The Odyssey, mm-hmm. and we wrote a, uh, a version of Little Women, which we've uh, done with middle school kids, mm-hmm. and we wrote a version of uh, TikTok of Oz and Rumpelstiltskin. All uh, children's theater. So, um, did your musical career... <laughs> is that your daughter, son, other? Yeah, uh, my, uh, my youngest son. So, did you get into music very, very early in your life and then decide pretty quickly it was going to be a career, or how did that all come about? Uh, it was kind of accidental. I, I was playing music uh, professionally from the age of about 13 and uh, had, a, had a series of bands during my teenage years. Mm-hmm. And... Interrupted college for a while to join a, uh, a band that was uh, recording in New York City. We became the house band for the uh, club, famous club in New York, The Bitter End. Was this Caldwell Wingfield? Or uh, no, I actually uh, I worked with them uh, later on. This is this band was called uh, the Apple Pie Motherhood Band, and yeah, we, and we did two albums with Atlantic Records. Oh, okay. Back in the days of uh, the Cream and as uh, I was Felix Papillardi was our first producer. Oh, gosh. Okay. And we got invited to a cream sessions, which was kind of fun. And, you know, we'd walk in the studio and Aretha was just leaving or the Young Rascals. It was a very exciting time. And how come that band only released... I mean, what happens with bands? Just... Well, we, uh, we kind of parted the uh, company with our manager over uh, business issues hmm. during the release of the second album, which was produced, by the way, by Tom Dowd. I understand there's a great film about him now circulating. Tom, Tom Dowd? Okay. Tom Dowd, yeah. He was one of the legendary producers of Atlantic. Joined Carla Winfield after spending a couple of years with the Apple Pie uh, guys, and uh, they got me to Woodstock, New York. They all lived up there, and uh, mm-hmm. as a matter of fact, during the Woodstock Festival, we were playing in uh, Montreal across the border. Everybody was coming south, and we were going north. And then, at some point, you hooked up with a, a fellow named... Van Morrison. Yeah, I, one of uh, the drummer in the band was uh, jamming with Van and doing some appearances with him. So uh, he introduced me to Van, and we put uh, a new combo together for Van. He had just just uh, released Astral Weeks, mm. which kind of went nowhere at the time. I think it sold about ten thousand. Uh, it's gone on to be in print ever since. Well, it, it's <laughs> probably the, one of the greatest albums in the history of rock and roll. Ever. I think so yeah. too. And, and actually, uh, let me read this to you. This is um, from a 1974 interview with uh, Donald Corvin uh, around the time when Ben was working on Veed and Fleece. And he said, quote, I first got together with this piano player, Jeff Labus, and he's been playing on and off on my records and gigs for a long time, since before Moondance. He's like a friend. He does his own thing, I do my own thing, and sometimes they meet. Sometimes they meet in the middle, and we play together. We met in Woodstock and jammed together. He was playing with Caldwell Wingfield, and we did this gig together in Woodstock, and this was the original Woodstock Festival, which they have every year. It didn't have anything right. to do right. with, a movie. Yeah, with a movie. Yeah, with movie. This is still being quoted. He's saying it didn't have anything to do with the movie at all. It's in a little muddy field, and they had the festival every year, and it was really mellow. Not, enough, not many people there, just enough, and the movie just ruined the town completely, unquote. So Van 
Jid was talking about you at that, that period. Were you friends, or is it impossible to be friends with Ben? Oh, no, no, we were, we were friends. Uh, actually, I, I even stayed with him for a while uh, in between uh, uh, living arrangements. Really? And, you uh, lived with yeah, him? Yeah, he was a specific guy. Huh. Uh, you know, I mean, people look at him as complicated because uh, the, the public face he puts out uh, is is complicated by his his vision of of what a performer ought to uh, ought to be or the respect that a performer ought to have. I mean, he looks at it as it's a job like any other job, and it doesn't make you a god or anything. Well, cleaning windows, kind of thing, yeah. Exactly. But he, I mean, the public persona is beyond that. Public persona is he is so difficult and so dislikable that one little thing could turn him into a complete tyrant. And, he, well, and he's shown that on stage. He, well, he's had some funny moments. Uh, I, I I can tell you a funny story. Before I ever met him, uh, when, when I was back in my bitter end days, mm-hmm. uh, he appeared at the bitter end. And I was there for his opening show. And... Uh, the way I remember it is that the band was playing, had a good band too, uh, and he walked, he was introduced, he walked on the stage, looked at the audience, and walked right off the stage and out into a taxi. <laughs> and this was, uh, this was before he was anybody with older, I mean, I think then No, was no, there. he, uh, you know, actually he, had, he already had the Brown Eyed Girl oh, okay. uh, on the charts, and he had uh, several songs from them. Well, he had quite a big career before he was even 20 years old. But you uh, knew him at that point. I mean, you were living with him for a point. Did you ever talk to him and say, Van, since it is your job, and since you are just um, you know, a hired person to do what you do, which happens to be write songs and play music, why the attitude? Why you know, the discussion? Well, actually, back in the, in the days when, uh, when I was first getting to know him, and uh, you know, as I said, I, I crashed for a while at his house, I, I, didn't, I didn't know of any uh, real difficulty that, that he had, uh, you know, except that, that interesting story that I, you know, that I had seen him do, but, uh, uh, no, he was, a he was a complicated guy because, uh, I think it, 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 it was based on the fact that he had been in the public eye since he was 16 years old when he, when he started the group Them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he toured all around Europe and, uh, there were local heroes in, uh, he was actually from Belfast, uh, and some of the other guys were from Belfast as well. But uh, they were local heroes in England, and I think he was kind of fed up with the the, the fame aspect of the business uh, pretty early. He had gone past uh, a lot of the youthful uh, uh, indiscretions, and and kind of had grown up. And with, with that with that attitude, uh, he he had a uh, more of a cynical attitude about uh, the business. And the whole born-again sort of religious thing, did that also happen when you knew him? Was he torn between sort of the heaven and hell aspects of, of a new uh, human personality, or That was yet? going on for him uh, in the 70s, I believe. Well, you were still playing on his albums well. Oh, yeah, I, I would come in and out. Um, I actually, I took a couple of years off starting in 1970, and I, and I moved to Israel. Oh. And uh, part, part of it was a reaction to... Uh, rock scene that I had been running around in. Uh, it, it appeared quite jaundiced to me, actually. And uh, I had occasion to tour uh, with the uh, with the Zamir Corral in Israel. Mm-hmm. And uh, I noticed how refreshing it was. You know, this was back in the early days of uh, Israeli politics. It was just after the uh, 67 war. Right. Things were very exciting there. The uh, West Bank had just opened up uh, to, to people from the Israeli side, so you could come in and pretty much freely go anywhere. And the Palestinians were very welcoming of the business, so it was a it was kind of a great place to be. 
And you and, said uh, that, oh, sorry. Yeah. It, it, it contrasted with uh, with the scene back in the U.S. I guess uh, I, I also uh, was uncomfortable with the uh, with the Nixon uh, administration. <laughs> it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> so when you say so, Israel, not for a couple, you were living there for a couple of years, and then you moved back, or you uh, yeah, I spent a couple of years there, and uh, I moved back in '72, and my my good friend Dawood Shah had been. Uh, Doing a lot of work with uh, with Van. Uh, he's a, a fabulous drummer and producer. I guess he told Van that I was back in the country, and I, within a, a day or two that I arrived in New York, I got a telegram: "Give me a call." Cool. So I called him up. I hadn't spoken to him in a couple of years, and he said, uh, "What are you doing? Come on out to uh, California. Let's do some recording." <laughs> so, so I found myself in uh, in Northern California. That's when I, when I started my uh, love affair with the. Uh, Marin County, actually. And also, uh, the Americans' real love affair with Van Morrison began with Moondance. I mean, Brown Eyed Girl, of course, but... Um, yeah, well, we had, we had done Moondance uh, back in 1970. Right. Which was a very exciting time. We actually recorded that particular song about, uh, as I recall, about oh, a dozen times at least. And, and we you kind of, he ended up using the very first recording. <laughs> <laughs> were, you, were you the piano on that? Yeah. And did you arrange it, or, or I did quite a bit of the arrangements, worked with the horn players. Yeah. Wow. Uh, we actually the horn players came from the Caldwell Winfield band. And uh, you did a lot of the other pianos and arranging on that album as well. Plus, yeah, I did the cue. Well, actually, the the, the, uh, the funny part about this when we first started recording an album, uh, we used the same players that played on Astro Weeks. Uh, it, it was a really good band, but um, the reaction was, oh, it's the same sound as Astro Weeks. We don't want to do that, uh, even though it happens to be the addition of my keyboard playing. Right. So uh, we, uh, Van decided, you know, it was his, he actually had a, a producer, but he was uh, pretty much taking the reins, and he was going through a sort of uh, breaking of the ties with uh, his production company. Mm. He decided to make it uh, something closer to what we were doing uh, on stage to be very successful with the uh, with the audiences. So it became more of a pop sound than Astro Weeks. Well, no, no one can say it was the wrong decision because it remains perhaps his best-known song and, and most Probably popular Probably best-known, yeah. Well, it's a marvelous night for a moon dance With the stars above in your eyes Grand fabulous night to make romance Neath the cover of October skies Yet all the leaves on the trees are falling To the sound of the breezes that blow Yet I'm trying to please to the calling Of your heart strength that plays soft and low Yet all the night's magic Seem to whisper and hurt Yet all the songs My love, can I just make some more romance with you? My love, well I wanna make love to you tonight. I can't wait till the morning has come. And I know now the time is just right. And straight into my arms you will run. And when you come, my heart will be waiting to make sure that you never run. 
There and then all my dreams will come true, dear. There and then I will make you my own. And every time I touch you, you just travel inside. Then I know how much you want me that you can't hide. Just on Moondance. Once you got back from Israel, you ended up on five or six of his recordings, including. Yeah, the, yeah. The first uh, thing we did was, uh, well, there was he had his own uh, studio at that point in his backyard in uh, Fairfax, California. Mm-hmm. We, we started recording a lot of things, and some of them became the album "Hard Nose the Highway," which I I happen to love. I, that it seems to be a lesser known uh, one, but great uh, stuff on it. Yeah, I, I like it too, but uh, it's. It's been uh, neglected, I think, among his albums. I hate kids take the first takes. Ain't that some interpretation? 
When Sinatra sang against Nelson Riddle strings And then take the vacation
among those uh, many things we recorded, a lot of the, the tracks came out on uh, a much more recent release of uh, previously unreleased uh, tunes called uh, Philosopher's Stone. Right, that's a two-disc. So it was really uh, satisfying that many of those uh, tunes came to light about uh, 25 years later. And, and, um, and yeah. then we, uh, we went on and did the uh, Beaten Fleece album, which uh, was kind of going, taking him back toward the Astro Week side. Yeah. Uh, more of a jazz uh, uh, business. And I actually came out after a lot of tracks had been uh, cut uh, with uh, very, very fine keyboard work. So uh, I just did the arranging. He actually just called me out to arrange. I was still living in New York. I'm studying at, uh, at Juilliard, actually. And, uh, oh. Well, you were still I, relatively young, I guess. You were still in what, in your 20s? Yeah. yeah. Yes, I was uh, before 30. <laughs> <laughs> but this is already after you've gotten back from Israel. So you've had already a life, and then you go back to Juilliard? Were you going to teach, or what was the... Um... I just wanted to get my uh, my chops together for mm-hmm. writing. I, I had decided that my rock and roll days were pretty much going behind me. Hmm. Although, at that point, I was working with Bonnie Raitt. And enjoying uh, touring with her, and uh, I assume a very different personality from Van. Very different, yes. <laughs> Much like. all, all, but also very creative and wonderful, uh, wonderful uh, person, and and uh, great performer. Any good Bonnie Raitt anecdotes or stories or um, memories? Uh, you know, uh, it was kind of a who's who of people to tour with. Uh, the people opening the shows for Bonnie were all, always wonderful, from ranging from Mose Allison to Little Feet to uh, Jackson Brown. Sometimes we open the shows for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they were always uh, well-chosen acts. Michael Franks, who you know became one of my heroes as I, as I moved into jazz, realized what a what a tremendous songwriter he is. It was a great time. Wonderful people to work with, and uh, we kind of did three years and then sort of uh, moved apart. I. I moved out to L.A. during the course of uh, recording an album with her in, in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, actually, I, I had been working for, uh, for Saturday Night Live on their very first season writing encore music for the band. Because uh, my friend Dawood was playing drums in the band. Oh, my God. And, uh, the first, that very, very, that was, again, that was back season, in 74, yeah. yeah. With, uh, with uh, the Ackroyd and... Uh, Belushi uh, and Belushi and, days, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, George Carlin was on the first episode. I remember that one. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And he's yeah. George well, was actually a, a, a friend of mine from back in New York. Do you have uh, any stories of of um, those Saturday Night Live days, or, or were you not really involved in the cast at all because it was the band thing? But still, no. You know, I was at a bunch of tapings. And they were they were very exciting. Well, yeah. Uh, it had the feeling of uh, you know kind of a new era in television. Uh, I was uh, I was a big fan of uh, that was the week that was. Oh sure. I thought that was some of the best television that had been that had been presented, and and it, it felt like uh, it was definitely in that tradition. Uh, you know, a lot of young people. Lauren Michaels was very young. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was great. Uh, Howard Shore uh, was the music director. He was a great guy to, uh, to work for. Mm-hmm. He was my he was my boss. He's gone on to a fabulous career in films. Howard Shore. Howard Shore. He he did the music for the Lord of the Rings oh. films. Yeah, uh, have you done movie scoring? Uh, actually, I I did. Uh, I I have some spotty work in films. I I did uh, uh, a redone main title for a film called The Stud. Okay. Uh, which was a previously uh, English release, and they wanted a, a different score for uh, America. Hmm. And uh, is that Joan Collins? What's her name? Was in that? This is. Joan Collins. Yeah, it was a joke. Okay, cool. Yeah. 
Oh, all right. Uh, a job's a job, you know. And while I was in living in L.A., uh, I, I got to do quite a few uh, uh, TV uh, spots. I, I did a lot of uh, cartoons, actually. I worked for Saban uh, Productions as a ghostwriter okay. for a couple of years. And uh, at that point, I had uh, cartoons on all the networks running, running simultaneously, everything from The Littles to uh, Heathcliff to Get Along Gang. Whole position. It was a whole list of, uh, of shows. Well, it's kind of uh, like what Mark Mothersbaugh has on on uh, to- Nicktoon and Nickelodeon. I mean, every other uh-huh. show is his music coming yeah. through. Um, but yeah, here's, here's they were a lot of fun. You know, they were, uh, uh, for a keyboard player, it's easy to do that because you can. Uh, those were the days, of, the early days of uh, the emulator and instruments where uh, you could replicate uh, orchestral instruments. Mm. So we had a lot of fun. I, I left uh, L.A. Uh, in the mid '80s, came up to Marin County where I, I, I found life to be a lot more, uh, uh, a lot more spacious on a spiritual level. Uh, there isn't, there isn't quite. I mean, there's always the pressure to, to keep it going, but uh, there isn't as much uh, pressure to uh, hit the heights of success. So I've, I've actually I've been very, uh, very comfortable with a, with a more leisurely pace, and I've gotten into a lot of theater. That's yeah. what got me into theater. Um, I did some theater in L.A. as well, but um, up here I've been writing musicals at a, at a pretty fast pace. I've written about 15 of them in the last decade. Oh, my gosh. And uh, and they've all been produced, which is Mazel. really nice. Mazel tov, yeah. Are, well, are any all of those... up, except for uh, uh, I'm waiting for two uh, new ones. Uh, but so it was very exciting to have this, uh, this show at the Fringe Festival. Mm-hmm. Um, let me remind people, actually, that it's Die, Die, Diana, playing at the... Die, Die, Diana, which, a title which we were... <laughs> it's a very cynical title, and uh, I never felt comfortable with We actually were going to change it to Diana the Musical. I think there was one, though. That was a problem. Uh, I think there was a be, Lady Die musical. That could be, too. But, uh, uh, but uh, Kelly McAllister, who was uh, producing and directing this uh, current production, decided that the title was too good to leave because it, it does attract publicity. Let me remind folks also that it's playing at the Schimmel Auditorium, and you've got two chances left to see it uh, on Saturday, August 21st at a quarter to 11 at night, and then again Friday night, August 27th at uh, a quarter to 11 at night. So uh, do do give it a look. Die, die, Diana. Satirical, uh, you know... It's a I'm, very funny piece. It, really it doesn't is. mean to offend, but it does mean to... to you know, stick a few jabs in all the different parties involved, I'm sure. Well, except for Diana. We were trying to be really, really sweet to Diana because uh, we felt that she was a victim. I think we were respectful of her. Um, let me ask, just going back one more time to the music. When was the last time you were in touch with you-know-who? With Van? Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen him for a couple of years. Uh, he comes to Marin uh, every year or two, and we... We always got together for at least for a coffee or something or a meal. Uh, we actually had a nice jam session up at his house. Uh, must have been four years ago or so. Uh, I think Dave Hayes was in too, his bass player, and uh, that was really fun. And uh, we were, I was going to go out and do another tour with him. Uh, the most recent one I've had done with him actually was in as far back as I believe it was '89. Well, okay, but I mean, you've known each other since the early 70s, so that is still pretty good that you're in touch. Oh, yeah, well, we did, the latest album I did with him was in 86, and we did a, a big tour following that. Was that No Guru? That was No Guru, yeah. That's a, that's a pretty nice album, too, actually. And then uh, in 89, we went to, uh, we played at the Beacon Theater in New York, 
and we played at the uh, ja- the uh, Jazz and Heritage Festival in New Orleans. Wow. And that was really fun. Well, it has been much, much fun talking to you, Jeff Labus. I want to wish you best of luck, not only with Die, Die, Diane and the Musical, but all the other musicals that you seem to be putting out and all your other musical projects. I want to thank you. Well, thank you so much, Dave. You betcha. Have a good one. Good to talk to you. Okay, bye-bye. On Friday night, I listen to Bonnie D. Graham. On GVB at 6 o'clock, that's where I am. She gives you lots of tips on romance and amour, like how to pick up guys without being a whore. Then Saturday, it's Mr. Redman's music show. At 7.30, it's where new musicians go. And then at 9, it's time for zany comedy, hosted by two young guys named Mikey and Jimmy. GVB is the radio star. 12.40 a.m. is where we are. Dave's goodbye on Thursday night. Music and jokes with satirical bite. Also on Thursdays if you're looking for some fun. At 6 o'clock tune in to Larry Davidson. And then on Tuesday if you're looking for light jazz. At 9 p.m. that's just what Mike Shimmery has. And don't forget on Sunday night it's Joe Zone. For right-wing politics is really quite well known. He's on at 7 with his own take on the news. And just like Dave he does a bunch of interviews. CDB is the radio star. AM twelve forty, that's where we are. So many shows, so give them a try. They're almost as good as Dan's gone by. GBD is the radio star. GBD is the radio star. GBD is the radio star. Sponsor me, Dave's gone by. Run your ad, folks will buy. If you want to reach the public, sponsor me. Advertise on this program for incredibly reasonable rates with long-term discounts. See prices at davesgoneby.com or call 516-295-1511. Sponsor me. If you're wise, on Dave's Gone By, you'll advertise. If you want to be successful, sponsor me. Welcome back to Dave's Gone By. I want to thank my fine sponsors, Tasty Toasty Quiznos of Hewlett, Yummy Sandwiches and Soups, all on their special toasted breads right on Broadway in Hewlett. And just across the street, visit Hewlett Minuteman Press for all your copying, printing, binding, engraving, and organic spelt digesting needs. And the Tondua Grill, 222 Sunrise Highway, Rockville Center. Check the menu at tondoorgrill.com. Not tandoori, tandoor. Leave off the last I for Indianalicious. And remember that at all three of these places, Quiznos, Minuteman, and the Tondor Grill, I'll give you a 10% discount if you mention Dave's Gone By. And speaking of mentioning Dave's Gone By, a bunch of other WGBB radio programs do just that, including the Instrumental Invasion with Mike Shimmery, 9 p.m. Tuesdays for Light Jazz, WGBB Tonight, Interviews with Authors by Larry Davidson, Thursdays at 6, Long Island's Gating with comedian Bonnie D. Graham, Fridays at 6, Independent Rock Bands on the Mr. Redman Music Show, and Freeform Comedy on the Mikey and Jimmy Show, Form the Saturday Night Rock Block starting at 7.30. And finally, of course, politics with Joe Salzone, your world, Sunday nights at 7. A couple of reminders, it's going to be a weird week going into New York before Labor Day. The Republicans are in town, swarming across Madison Square Garden, taking advantage of the city 
that their president let burn to the ground while he was reading My Little Goat. I know I called for non-violent, passive-resistance-style protests and very mild disobedience a couple of weeks ago against the Long Island Railroad because of the cuts in service they're threatening and another rise in ticket prices. But this week, let's put our anger where our politicians are. If you're in Manhattan, if you see people wearing convention badges, if they're Republicans from out of town trying to enjoy our city, let's make it hell for them. The way police and security are going to make it hell for us the next few days. Nothing illegal or violent or threatening, but for gosh sakes, wear those anti-Bush buttons and t-shirts to work, to school, to the store, all day, every day. If you see tourists obviously in town on a pro-Republican agenda, shout at them. Give them the old New York finger if you have to. This election has long gone beyond the point of civilized discussion and debate of one side trying to convince the other. Now, it's just about sheer mutual hatred. So, let's vent. Let's remind all these non-local yokels how crude and rude New York can be, since that's what they think of us anyway. The point is, they are not welcome. They get the tax breaks, the Homeland Security funding, the oil industry benefits. New York gets a massive catastrophe, forced to rebuild essentially on our own, with a war in our name against people who essentially didn't have anything to do with the bombing. If you are pro-Bush, pro-Cheney, you are not welcome here. Go home. If you choose to stay, it's a free country, but you might want to hold your ears. Except for one hour a week, so you can still listen to this program. Whatever your party affiliation, thank all of you for listening. I want to thank my wife, Joyce, for her love and encouragement. I want to thank my guest, Jeff Labus, that's L-A-B-E-S, if you're trying to find him on the net. I don't think the Apple Pie Motherhood Band record is on CD at this point, but certainly you can hear Jeff's work on all those Van Morrison albums. I guess everybody has Moondance, but you need to get a copy of two underrated albums, Hard Knows the Highway and the truly spiritual no guru, no method, no teacher. In fact, that's what I'll leave you with. To close the program, my favorite track on no guru called In the Garden, listen for the piano when Morrison mentions a gentle breeze blowing, and Jeff tries to onomatopoeia that on the piano. Fantastic. And I hope you'll be with me next Thursday, 7 p.m., September 2nd, for our 92nd episode, and fingers crossed, of famous and fabulous, incredible guest. Until then, don't miss your days going by. This is Dave Lefkowitz. Good night. No guru, no method, no teacher, no Republicans. And gone by.
Yeah, no. 